Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to worship. Welcome to sunrise as we as we gather to worship, to sing, and to um, praise God together and hear His word. Uh, my name is Dan. Here to lead you guys into worship. I'm so excited for what God has in store for today. So, actually, why don't you guys stand with us? Um, I'm gonna do our call to worship. We're gonna get launched right into worship. I'd like to read to you guys um, from Psalm 57, which I think is a perfect lead into the song that we're gonna start with today, Awake My Soul. So here are these words um, from Psalm 57. Actually, before I say it, a little context of what's going on in Psalm 57 is David, um, oh, David and Goliath, David is kind of running from, from Saul, who is trying to pursue him with his army. Um, and so David is literally running for his life and uh, we find him in the first part of this psalm as he's crying out to God uh, to save him, to rescue him, to be his refuge in this time of turmoil. Uh, and then in the second half of this chapter 57, David turns it around and lifts up praise to God and that he is his refuge and he can find his, his peace in him. So hear these words. This is the second half of Psalm 57, verses 7 through 11. My heart, O God, is steadfast, which steadfast is like firm, resolute, unwavering. My heart is steadfast, and I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. So you may not be running for your life right now, uh, but we often find ourselves in turmoil, um, unexpected and difficult situations in life. But we can learn from David in these, in these, these verses in this chapter 57 to declare that our hearts are steadfast amidst the turmoil, amidst the crazy of life, that we can be steadfast in him and find our refuge in him. So let's worship, let's sing this morning as, as we awaken ourselves to worship. Sing his praise aloud. 
praise.
Jesus is a powerful, powerful name. Darkness flees at the name of Jesus. Knees bow at the name of Jesus. Sickness, disease flees at the name of Jesus. So God, we speak the name of Jesus over our lives today. Whatever we may be facing, the just as uh, as we spoke earlier in, in Psalm 57, as David was fleeing from Saul in turmoil and embracing for his life, God, whatever we may be facing right now in our lives, maybe sickness, <clears throat> maybe a difficult job situation, family problems, or schoolwork, God, we just speak the name of Jesus over those situations. You reign above it all. There's no need to fear, no need to have anxiety, because you hold it in your hands. In you, we are steadfast. You reign above kingdoms, you reign above governments, you are above it all, Jesus. So God, this morning, we give it up to you. We give up the control to you, Jesus, today. May you truly reign in our lives. You are good. You are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you guys take a seat? Once again, good morning have a couple of exciting things going on in the life of Sunrise. Um, one being, you may see in front of you uh, different looking pictures. I mean, if this is your first time here this morning, maybe this will be brand new to you, but um, there are different QR codes, different information on the chairs in front of you. For those of you guys online, you don't see that, uh, but things look a little bit differently for you as well. We are launching something we've been working on over the past month and a half. The staff has been working hard on a new website and a new app that is specific to Sunrise Ministries. So we are launching that. It is live today. Um, so a few things we have to talk about, those different things. Uh, if you visit right now our website, it looks totally different. If you go to any app store, like the Apple um, App Store or the Google Play, you can download the Sunrise Ministries app. It's not like some other app that you download and search for Sunrise Ministries. It is specific to us. So the cool thing is, is both the app and the website are congruent. They look like each other. They work like each other. The sign-ups, the forms, the giving, all, the, all of it is the same on those two things. So it is pretty exciting. For If you guys online worshiping with us, um, going forward, we're going to be uh, having our 
live stream worship right on our website as well. And the chat that has been happening previously has been in, in that Facebook chat, if you guys are watching there. The chat now is going to move over to our website. So you can be watching it from our live stream. You actually can watch the live stream right on the app and chat right in that. So that's a pretty cool thing for both of those things. So again, for our online watchers, if you want to chat and engage in the service, jump over on the website or the app. You can do that there. Um, also, if you're watching, again, not to exclude you guys, but if you're watching online with us, and you, if you are watching from a smart TV, or if you have like a Roku or Amazon Fire Stick or Apple TV, um, there's a Sunrise app in those places as well. So you can download that app, watch it from right there. You don't have to like search for YouTube and like beep, boop, 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 like type in Sunrise on your, wherever you're watching from. It's right there in the Sunrise app. So enough of that. Um, also, so... What is exciting about our, our app is that it's kind of going to be the hub for all of our things going forward for Sunrise. So whenever we're talking about an event starting up or a group to join, you can go to the app or the Sunrise um, the website to do that. You can connect on there. You can sign up for events or groups. Giving is right easy right on there as well. Groups can connect. Small groups and three's company groups can connect and chat with each other. We can set up different groups to connect that way as well. Um, you can watch, like I said, the watch the live stream from the app. The chat is there. Um, scrolling down to make sure I don't miss anything that I wanted to say. Also, what's cool, if you're downloading right now, if you want to look at, look at it, um, there are five, five or six different things right on the screen. But at the bottom, uh, there's giving there a little tab, but also a Bible tab right there as well. So if, we're, if Dennis is preaching and he says some scripture, and you want to pop right in there instead of like going out of the app, going to the, like the Bible app on your phone, it's right in there in our Sunrise app. And also... Um, if you're wanting to take notes for the sermon, it's right in there as well. Just uh, click on the live stream, and it won't like embarrass you and have Dennis start talking from your phone live stream. But it'll it'll be muted, so you can just take notes during the sermon as well on there. Um, also for giving, so all of our systems are kind of changing over and going into this one system. So previously, we've been using Vanco as our online giving service. This is going to transition over to our new platform, which is Subsplash. Um, if you have a reoccurring giving gift that you've set up a long time ago, that is going to be changing over to this new platform. So we can't do that on our, our, our end. You guys need to change that reoccurring gift on your end. And we'll be sending out an email later today that will kind of give you some steps to do that. So it's pretty simple, pretty simple things. But if you need help with that, Julie or myself or um, Emily or uh, Sue, we've been working on this all together. So they can help you with that giving or myself. It's... Um, so later this week, I think in the next month, we're trying to transition all those giving gifts over to this new platform so that we'll be ending our Vanco. So if that is you with a reoccurring gift, that is happening. So enough about the website and app. You guys can download that or look at the website um, on your own time this, this next week and see all the fun, cool things it does. So one way to use, utilize these cool new functions is ways to connect. So second semester of groups is coming up to February 1. We'll be having some things launch off. First is a new women's Bible study will be starting on January 25th. That is Carol Van Heitzma's group. It'll be starting up a new study. That meets Wednesday evenings from 7 to 9 here at the church. If you are interested in joining that group, or if you want to know more information about that, you can go to the app or website, go under connect, and then find groups, and you can click on a link that will show you all the information about what that study is that she'll be studying um, this semester. Next, Therese Company is launching as well in, in uh, February 1. If you are not privy to what 
Three's company is. It's pretty simple. It's one of our ways, there's an easy on-ramp to connect here at Sunrise. What we do is we, gr- we group three, hence Three's company, three uh, family units. It could be a single person, could be a couple, married couple, could be a family. We're going to mix it all up and we group three, to people to, three groups together and they meet three times over the course of three months. Um, just socially. You guys can go out for coffee or go to a playground or um, go to someone's house and have dinner. It's kind of up to you guys to do what you want, but it's just an easy way to meet new people and build some relationships here at Sunrise. So that'll be starting in a few weeks. So again, if you want more info or want to sign up, do that through the app or the website. Lastly, small groups will also be starting off a new semester of small groups coming up in Feb- on February 1. Got a few weeks to uh, sign up for that. Again, it's Different than Three's Company, but it's another way to engage in relationships here at Sunrise to build new, build more relationships. It's a little bit more commitment than Three's Company because it's every other week, and we do a study in those groups. Um, the emphasis is still on building relationships and care, uh, but we, we do a study along, along with that and pray together, usually eat some snacks as well. That's the good part about small groups. So... Um, if you want more info about small groups, connect with me or um, again, jump on the website or the app. There's all sorts of info on those things. I've been talking a really long time, and I'm kind of tired of talking. So we're going to jump into our greeting time, and then we're going to release our kids to go to their sunrise kids time in the back. Mrs. Julie's waiting for you kiddos in the back. So why don't we stand up, take a few minutes to greet each other, and say hi. All right. If you could find your way back to your seats, that'd be great. So before we get rolling uh, uh, today, I just wanted to, so, so this week, Pastor Dan and I were talking, and, and he had mentioned running into um, a friend of Sunrise Ministries and, 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 and a friend of mine uh, this past week, and, and I didn't realize that Pastor Dave and our dear friend, Pastor J.R. Pittman of Ignite Fellowship in Grand Rapids had developed a relationship, and there was a relationship between Ignite and Sunrise, and I told Dan, I said, man, I'm super excited. I, I want to connect with JR, and lo and behold, Pastor JR is here with us this morning visiting, so could we welcome him? Um, so thankful, uh, so thankful for, for him and for our dear brothers that are here, that are here visiting. So if uh, you're a, a longtime Sunriser, I'm sure Pastor JR would love to, to greet you um, at some point today. Uh, today... Pardon me, I forgot my clicker. Today we're going to be continuing our series on the sunrise pillars, those five things that sort of hold up and undergird. They rest upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ as our grounding and our foundation, and they hold up our mission of being a transformative force in the world through God's grace and love. And so the sunrise pillars are, are this, that we will be biblical. We've talked about that this fall. The last couple of weeks, we will be thankful. Uh, we will be evangelistic. We will be authentic. And today, we begin sort of this next step in the journey. We will be compassionate. What does it mean to be a church that is compassionate? A church that cares for the needs of the poor and the disenfranchised. Well, we're actually going to look at a passage today out of Mark chapter 6, um, and we're going to, to hopefully learn from Jesus how we might be a more compassionate body of believers. All right, so, so let's, let's get the elephant in the room out of here. As some of you may no doubt know, I turned 50 on Friday. Did anybody realize that? Yeah. I don't know that that's right. Yay, he didn't kill himself, you know. 
these 50 years. The way that I've lived to you guys, like I'm a risk taker. So um, I, I can honestly say that turned 50 on Friday, and I've really not been bothered that much by the big 5-0. You know, I know a lot of people, they really struggle with, with birthdays and things like that. But, but, but I, I haven't felt, you know, too bad. But, but I would be lying if I didn't say that it hasn't caused me over the last couple of days especially to sort of take some inventory, to reflect on the journey and the people that have helped me along the way. Now, the list is long, and it's varied, and it's made up of, of folks that find themselves all over the world, but there was one person that, whose face sort of popped in, into my mind as I was thinking about what it means to be compassionate and standing before you this morning and, and, and turning 50 on Friday, and that, that person is a person that probably, I don't know, Amy, you may have heard his name a few times over the years, but... But my buddy from college, Matt Shreve. Now, I haven't been in contact with Shreve for 30 years. We lost touch after my sophomore year of college. I don't have his phone number. We don't talk. We don't text. We're not even Facebook friends. I actually spent a fair amount of time on Friday and Saturday stalking Facebook to see if I could find him. <laughs> and I think I might have, but, he, but the guy that I found is old. <laughs> you see, Shreve and I's relationship started actually before we had even met, or, or, or this, this incident, this, this moment that I'm about to tell you about actually began a year before Matt and I even met. It was in the fall of 1990, uh, and, and unbeknownst to me during a, a basketball practice, I fractured my ankle. But it wasn't so bad that I wasn't able to actually heal up enough so that I could play. And so essentially what happened is I played my entire senior season of basketball um, on an ankle that had bone spurs floating around on the inside, which needless to say isn't something that a person should do. Which resulted in all kinds of damage to my left ankle and meant that I had to have reconstructive surgery over Christmas break during my freshman year of college, which also meant that my spring semester of college, I spent crutching around campus on, on uh, crutches in the, uh, in the Ohio winter. Now, now honestly, the, being on crutches, weren't, weren't, it wasn't so bad, aside from the underarm chafing, which I assure you is no joke. <laughs> it wasn't a problem, that is, until one particular Sunday night when uh, a group of us friends uh, went to Sunday night service at the local Presbyterian church. As, as odd as this sounds, in the small town of Cedarville, Ohio, the most progressive worship experience, the most eclectic and diverse worship experience in town was at the Cedarville Presbyterian church, which is where I would crutch every Sunday night of the winter semester. And, 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 and as the sun hung low in the sky this particular Sunday, we walked to the Cedarville Presbyterian Church in a steady Ohio drizzle with the temperature hovering just above freezing. And we didn't think much of it until we left church that night. And in that short amount of time, the sun had disappeared below the horizon, the temperature had dropped below 32 degrees, and that steady drizzle was now a thin sheet of ice that covered everything between the Cedarville, Cedarville Prez and my dorm at the edge of campus. And what was a slight annoyance 
had become a sincere problem because it was impossible to navigate on my crutches. That was the moment and that was the night that big Matt Shreve, six foot tall, 250 pounds, who could dunk a basketball, believe it or not, showed me the difference between sympathy and compassion. You see, the distinction is subtle, but it's significant. One author put it this way, sympathy looks on and says, I'm so, so sorry. But compassion presses in and says, I'm with you. Sympathy looks on and says, I'd like to help. But compassion goes in and says, I'm here to help. Sympathy says, I wish I could carry your burdens. But compassion says, give them here. Let me carry your burdens. You see, Matthew 6, verses 30 through 34, they, they demonstrate the fact that Jesus knew the difference between sympathy and compassion. Let's, let's look at this passage and, and, and make some observations here. We're going to read it through, then we're going to go back and make a little bit of, uh, going to do a little bit of commentary here. So, so let's just read all the way through. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. The passage says that the apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him all they had done and taught. We sort of find ourselves parachuting into the middle of several stories that are going on in Mark chapter 6. The first um, in, in this passage is where, where Jesus is prophesying or he's teaching in his own hometown and the people reject him because a prophet isn't without honor except in his own hometown. Shortly after that, Jesus takes his apostles. He, he gives and invests in them uh, all, the ability to heal, the ability to forgive sins, all those kinds of things, and he sends them out with specific instructions. This is where we get the instruction of, hey, take a, take a purse, don't take a purse, take a, take a staff, don't take a staff, right? If someone doesn't hear your message, shake the dust off your feet. Um, and, and then we get the uh, information that G John the Baptist has, has been killed, and that's where we kind of find ourselves situated here. All of this stuff has taken place. Jesus is just about ready to feed the 5,000, which happens just after this passage. And it's within this context that the apostles have gathered around Jesus. And what are they doing? They're reporting to him everything that had happened when they went out on the mission that he had sent them on. Can you imagine that conversation? So what happened? What happened when you went into this village? Well, we went to this village and this happened and we met this person and this demon-possessed guy came out and this, this person who needed healing came out and, and, and well, what happened then? And so it's on the heels of all of these things, all of these exciting but also exhausting things that Jesus and his disciples get together and having received this report, it says, then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. Have you ever been in a situation where you were so busy that 
that you forgot to eat? Have you ever been in a situation where you were so busy that you didn't forget to eat, but you just didn't have a chance to eat? And how did that make you feel? Did it make you grumpy or did it make you happy? Oh, yeah. There are two things you don't do to me, and one is stand between me and the dinner table. <laughs> Randy Viz, can I get an amen? No, Jesus and his disciples, they found themselves and they were being pressed in so much by the work of ministry, good ministry, gospel ministry, kingdom ministry, that it says that they weren't even able to eat. And so then Jesus says to his disciples, looks at the 12 and says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now, folks, there are going to be sermons that are going to be anchored in this very point because the reality is, is that it's not just air travel whether it's important to take care of yourself before you take care of those that are around you. That's a, that's a human need that we have to take care of. But there are also times and opportunities, as we're going to see, that sometimes as grown adults, we have to pick on, put on our big girl and big boy pants, and we need to care for people, and we need to press through, and we need to work hard, and we need to set aside our own comfort in the short term for the sake of the kingdom and the sake of the gospel. Jesus knew this balance well, and in this moment, he looked at his guys, he looked at his friends, and he said, Man, you guys are spent. Let's, let's take a little bit of time. And so what did they do? They climbed into the boat, and they headed off to a solitary place. They were headed off to some solitude. They were headed off for some vacation time. Now, now what's, what's not explicit here in this passage is that it was probably the, the destination, the point between the destination of where they left and where they landed was probably about three or four miles or so around the Sea of Galilee. And because people were so excited about Jesus, because people were so invested in what he was doing, because their needs were so great, because he was healing and he was teaching with power like they had never heard or experienced before. It says that they actually ran ahead of them. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns to get there ahead of them. How would you like that? Right? You've had this season at work and things have gone well. You've had this big project. You've rolled out all these things and you've really just ground yourself down to the nubbins and you're like, man, I'm going to head to, I don't know, Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Because who doesn't love Gatlinburg, Tennessee? Right? And you get there and you step out of your car and you're stretching like this and you're getting ready to walk into that little mountain cabin and in the little mountain cabin right next door, your entire team at work, steps out and was like, hey, hey, good to see you. Glad you finally made it. We've got stuff to do. That's where Jesus and his disciples find themselves. And here's where Jesus shows us the difference. Well, between him and me, between sympathy and compassion, is that when Jesus landed, he saw the crowd, and the scripture says he had compassion on them. He had compassion. Because there's a causal relationship because they were sheep, like sheep, without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. These two things Jesus' compassion 
and the reality of the state that the people who followed him around the lake find themselves in. Jesus had compassion because the people were like sheep without a shepherd. This word that's translated compassion is only used a little over half a dozen times, about ten times in, in the New Testament. And what's really interesting about it is that it's only used in the Gospels. But what's also really interesting about that is that it's only used by or about Jesus. This word that's translated compassion here is only used by or about Jesus. This is a Jesus kind of compassion. This isn't a human pity. This isn't a pastoral sympathy. This is a divine compassion that comes and is, and, and, and is leveraged and, 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 is, and, and illustrates the thoughts, the inclination, and the disposition of the divine to the finite. Six particular examples. In Matthew chapter 9, this word is used um, about how Jesus felt toward the diseased and the sick that were brought to him. Even when he was tired and even when he was busy and even when, when, when he knew that the people were coming to him and they were looking for things that, that may be other than what he was ultimately trying to offer. That Jesus didn't turn people away, but he pressed into their need. And when he saw anything that didn't look like the kingdom of heaven, he set that right. Because Jesus' healing ministry wasn't about parlor tricks to prove his divinity. It was about bringing the kingdom of heaven into the space of the kingdom of earth. It was about the divine pursuing the fallen creature. It was used in Matthew chapter 18, verse 27, when, when the master who forgave the servant the great debt, the servant who subsequently didn't forgive the person who owed him a debt, the compassion, that the same word was used when Jesus talks about and tells this story about the master. The master looks at the one who has a debt. And, and again, Jesus isn't talking about masters and servants here. Again, what's he talking about? He's talking about the divine and the created. He's talking about the fact that we all have a debt that we can't pay. We all have a debt that is so great that we, we cannot take care of it on our own effort. But, but God extends his grace. God extends his compassion. In Mark chapter 9, the word is used uh, of how Jesus feels about the young boy whose father brings him to him. The young boy who's struggling. He's been possessed of, the, uh, of a demon. And he often tries to throw himself in the fire when he's having a fit. This is how Jesus looked at that boy, friends. Jesus looked at this dad who was brokenhearted and who knew that the only intervention, the only healing that his son could experience was at the hand of the master. This is how Jesus felt toward that man and, and his son. This is the word that's used of, of how Jesus felt, the fact that he had compassion on the mother who was walking past him in the funeral procession with her only son, her precious only son. And Jesus looked at this woman and this is what he felt. This is what he felt because people knew, right? We know intuitively that when we see a parent bury their child, that this is not the way the world is supposed to be. But Jesus not only knew that, he could do something about it. Oh, and he did. This is the word, this is the word that Jesus uses when he talks about that Samaritan. Remember that Samaritan that was walking along the side of the road? He... he he was following or trailing in the dust of the priest and the Levite who saw the man who had been beaten and who had been left for dead. The Samaritan who was an outsider. 
The Samaritan who was the wrong religion. The Samaritan who was the wrong ethnicity. The Samaritan who was wrong in every possible way. The Samaritan who, if the Levite and the priest would have touched the Samaritan, just like if they would have touched the man who was lying, presumably dead in the ditch, would have been unclean. This unclean Samaritan is the one that Jesus uses as his image for how God views you and me. Because the Samaritan had compassion. He got his hands dirty. He didn't just look on, he pressed in. And it's the word that Jesus uses to describe the Father in Luke 15. Remember Luke 15? Where the Pharisees go to Jesus and they ask, Jesus, why don't you take sin seriously? Why do you, why do you eat with, with tax collectors and sinners? And, and Jesus told them three stories about a shepherd who had lost a sheep. About a woman who had lost a coin. And about a father who had lost a son. And in the midst of this story, the father, he, the son comes to him and he says, Dad, I wish that you were dead and give me what is mine. And so the father, presumably in this context, goes and liquidates all of his assets and, and gives one-third of his net worth to the son who then goes off into a far country and in the midst of famine squanders everything that he has on wild and riotous living. And while this good Jewish boy is feeding pigs in a foreign land, he comes to his senses and heads back home knowing the shame that he will have to endure to be reconciled to his father, knowing that according to custom, he'll have to pay back all that he owes before he will ever be maybe even remotely considered a son again. It is this boy who, with head bowed and shoulders hunched, makes the long walk home, stealing himself for the ridicule and the scorn that he's going to face as he has to walk through the village. It's this boy who experiences the compassion of the father who sees him coming from a long way off. And he recognizes that familiar gait. The boy is thinner, but it's, it's my boy. The boy is unkept and hairy, but it's my boy. The boy, he, he doesn't look like he did when he left, but that's my son. And the text says in this, in, in Luke, Luke uses this same term that the father had compassion on the son. You see, compassion is more than sympathy or pity because it suggests the one who shows compassion actually has something helpful to offer. It's one thing to feel badly for somebody's situation, friends, but it's quite another thing to feel compassion and have the means to make a difference. And this is where the because comes in. Jesus had compassion. Why? Because the text says that the people were like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. The readers in Mark would have known exactly what was being said here. Those that were listening, the disciples, none not the least, would have known exactly what Jesus was saying. He was, he was calling on a well-worn spiritual leadership picture from the Old Testament, from Numbers twenty-seven seventeen, 
when the scripture talks about the transition between Moses and Joshua, the sheep, the people are the sheep who are in need of a shepherd. First Kings chapter 22, when the prophet Micah prophesies against Ahab, because Ahab is a faithless shepherd and the people are like a sheep without a shepherd. And Ezekiel 34, 23, when the Lord is declared as the scattered, exiled sheep of Israel's shepherd. You see, folks, Jesus isn't just moved with compassion because the people are shepherdless. He is moved with compassion, get this, because he is their shepherd. And he's good. And he's good. And he looks at them, and they are not shepherdless, but they're like shepherdless sheep. Why? Because they don't know who he is. Many of them don't even, they don't yet know his voice. They don't understand what he's come to do, what he's about to offer. You see, the reality is that Jesus, being fully God and fully man, he comes to this space filled with compassion, looking at his sheep, his sheep of whom he is the shepherd. And they're like a, a shepherdless, they're like a shepherdless group of sheep because they don't know who he is. And Jesus is tired. He's weary. He's worked hard, and so are his, and so have his disciples. But the sheep of Israel, Jesus understands that they're only doing what sheep do. And he also knows that his sheep will know his voice. And they need to hear him. So I was looking through this pa- passage and studying this passage this week. I, I, was, I was struck by the fact that, that there are certain people in, in my life that it really is easy to show compassion to. Right? My family, my spouse, my friends. And I was reminded of the fact that that sheep are sheep, but when the sheep are your sheep, you can put up with a little bit more, can't you? Right? Like, Like it's one thing when we were growing up for me to pick on my little brother, right? To bully him, to intimidate him with threats of violence, right? To hold him down. And I had mastered that whole, you know, spit thing. It was one thing for me to do it, but it was quite another thing when we were in college and when I was a senior and Chris was a junior and and we played intramural basketball together and there was a guy on the intramural basketball court that actually knocked down my brother and sort of stood over him like, you know, posturing and things like that. Your pastor may or may not have run off the bench and grabbed this guy by the throat. (laughs) I'm not saying I was right. It's different when they're your sheep. It's different when it's your people. See, compassion only happens, friends, when we allow the people around us, when we refuse to allow them to remain nameless and faceless. You see, because Jesus had compassion not just on the nameless and the faceless rabble, but on his beloved. And it gets better. Every person in Israel was dear to Jesus, not just those present in the crowd. Just the same as every person on this earth, present, past, and future is precious to our Lord. Jesus loves that person that I can't stand. Jesus views with those same eyes of compassion the person that I would rather not lay eyes on ever again. 
Jesus goes out of his way for the person that irritates me the most. Jesus' heart breaks for the person that breaks and has broken my heart. And when Jesus looks at my enemies, friends, he sees them not with sympathy, not with pity, but with compassion. And praise God, he sees them with the same compassion with which he sees me. Because Jesus knows that we all have a debt that we cannot pay. That we all struggle with and against the ramifications of sin, death, and the fall. Jesus knows that the self-righteous older brother needs his grace just as much as the prodigal. Jesus knows that we often don't get over our grief, we just get through it. He knows that that loss leaves a hole that will only be filled when we finally and fully encounter the resurrection. And Jesus knows that every one of us, just like that boy who often was thrown into the fire, fights our demons. The demons of our past. The demons of our addiction, of our guilt, of our shame, of our sin, of our trauma. You see, the reality is, is that every one of us sitting in this room, we, we have a story that needs rewriting. And he is the only one that can do it. So as we move forward, there's, there's a few things that I want to remind us that, that compassion calls us to. We see this in the life of Jesus and his disciples in this passage. The first thing is that compassion is going to cost me something. It might be my time. It might be my energy. It might be my resources. It might, whatever it may be, the reality is, is that when Jesus was moved with compassion for his sheep, there was a cost package that was associated with that. And if it costs Jesus something, it's going to cost us something again. But if we are going to be a people that are going to be compassionate, then let us commit together that we are going to pony up and love people even when it's not easy and even when it costs us something. The second thing that I want us to see is that compassion leads me to some uncomfortable places. Never think that the gospel is going to call you to go around the places that make you uncomfortable. No, the, the gospel calls us to go through places that other people go around. You will be uncomfortable. Pastor Dennis, I don't know. I'm not like you. I don't, I, it's not easy for me to talk to people, so I really can't share the gospel with the guy that is next to me in the cubicle. The gospel calls us to some uncomfortable places. You know, Pastor Dennis, I'm not like you. I, I, I can't, you know, go downtown sometimes, and I, I just, I, I, I can't, I can't. Yeah, the homeless make me super uncomfortable. The gospel, friends, calls us to some uncomfortable places. You see, the, the reality is, folks, I, I was having a conversation with, with somebody this morning. It, it was Dale, and I just had this brief conversation. My friends, we, the Church of Jesus Christ, has an obligation to be able to love one another in the midst of our disagreements and show the world that Jesus is, is bigger and better than those things that divide us. Amen? 
Compassion is going to make us uncomfortable. Oh, but sometimes we see Jesus show up in those places of discomfort. Next, we see that, that compassion is birthed from selflessness. Now again, friends, I am not saying that we run ourselves ragged, that we don't take care of ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves. But my friends, there are sometimes, there are some things that happen. There are sometimes we get a text in the late morning on our birthday. And somebody says to us, do you have a few minutes today? And their need to listen and to be heard and to have a cup of coffee and experience love is bigger than my need to sit around in my PJs and watch Netflix all afternoon. Can I get an amen? amen. Compassion. Compassion understands All the resources are God's. Can I tell you a secret? You don't own anything. And neither do I. We steward what God has given us. He blesses us with all of these things. He blesses us with the roof over our head. He blesses us with this. I sat down, with, I sat down, friends, this week with my financial advisor. And on the way home, I thought to myself, how crazy and blessed am I that I have tens and tens of dollars? <laughs> that I need a financial advisor. Dennis, you made 12 bucks this last year. Good for you. You see, those resources are God's. And the last thing, compassion. Compassion demands action. Folks, when we stepped out onto the stoop, as the worship team comes to lead us on our final song, as we stepped out onto that stoop of the Cedarville Presbyterian Church, and we, we, we stepped out onto that shiny, sheeny, ice-covered parking lot. It became very obvious that I wasn't going to be able to crutch my, my way back to campus that night. And Big Matt didn't hesitate. He didn't look at me and say, Man, I'm sorry, you're going to crawl home tonight. <laughs> he didn't look on and say... I'd like to help, but I've got this nagging hamstring injury. He didn't sympathize and say, man, I wish I could carry your burden. No, that big old boy, he reached out and he took my crutches from me. And he handed them to one of our other friends. And he turned around and said, get on. Now, friends, I'm, I wasn't quite half the man I am now then. <laughs> but I still weighed every bit of 175 pounds. And it was at least a mile back to campus. And it was slick and it was icy. 
And Sheree didn't complain. He never held it over my head. He just carried me home. He carried me home. See, that's the difference between sympathy and compassion, isn't it? Sympathy looks on and I feel bad about what's taking place and what's going on. But see, Jesus doesn't have sympathy towards us. He doesn't just have pity towards us. Jesus, never forget this, friends. Jesus has carried us home. You see, we don't get there without him. You see, those diseased and, and the sick, they, they didn't find healing apart from him. The, the 5,000, the, the hungry and the destitute, they, they didn't find feeding without him. He was their sustenance. What Jesus had, he gave away. And what Matt had that night, his strength and his health, he gave away. Who needs you to carry him home, friends? Who needs you to stop looking on and to start pressing in? Who needs you to stop feeling badly and start doing something, even if it's something little? It's going to cost you something. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to demand that we're not selfish but selfless. It's going to take a reckoning with the fact that I don't own stuff. I just steward it. But what maybe is the thing this morning that the Spirit of God is saying, now is the time for action. So, Father, as we come before you today, we thank you so much for meeting us here and for being with us. And Lord, our prayer, our persistent prayer is that you would help us to ever increasingly become a community that lives and shows compassion. In the compassionate one's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to continue in worship by singing and also using this time to give of our offerings to God. There's that QR code in front of you. There's also a bucket in between the, bo- the doors in the back. You can drop that off on your way out. Let's continue to engage, to worship, and to sing. Um, song we're going to close with this morning. I was looking for songs that kind of speaks into compassion. And uh, I thought it would be fun to, to jump back a little bit and dust some dust some dust off of this next song Your Love Never Fails We haven't done this in a while but it'll be fun to bring this back and do so uh, hopefully you still remember this one it's been a few years but uh, we're going to sing Your Love Never Fails so why don't you guys stand with us as we sing
So as we go from here this morning, remember that this story that we talked about today has a conclusion, right? So, so Jesus and his disciples, they, there's, there's 5,000 men that are sitting out on the side of a, of a hill, and the disciples, they, 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 they've had as much as they can take. And they say, Lord, send these people away so that they can find food. And Jesus says, you feed them. You may be feeling that way about me this morning. As you might be like, Pastor, shut up. But here's one of the interesting things that Jesus says, is that Jesus doesn't ask them to give something that they don't have. It's like when God encounters Moses, he asks them that simple question, well, what's in your hand? Well, what do we have is what Jesus says. And they're like, well, we just have this, these few loaves and this little bit of fish. And what Jesus says essentially is that is enough if you give it to me. And so as we go from this place, be reminded of that truth. Jesus doesn't want more than you have. He just wants what you have to be given to him. And then stand back and watch what he does with it. For he is good. And he is able. And the same shepherd who came looking for you when you were lost. Wants to use you to look for the lost and scattered sheep around you. And he will do it. He asked us to be faithful. So go. As under shepherds of the good shepherd. Showing compassion. To those who need his grace. And his love. And God's people said. Go in his peace. But before you go. Oh what are we doing? Did I forget something? We have a cake for you, Dennis. Oh, gosh. In the back. That's exactly what I need. So, Thank you. <laughs> so before you go, wish Dennis a happy birthday. Big five zero. There's some cake out in the lobby. So, Dennis, we love you. That, thanks. You love you, well. too. Happy birthday. Thanks. See you guys. Bye.